Well, hello everyone. It's been a minute. Welcome back to the Chaos Ball Podcast. It's been a while. It's been a few weeks. It's been since before the holidays even happened. I apologize for my tardiness. No, it's been it's been a few weeks. The holidays happened. I was not home. I got home. I had New Year's Eve, and then I got very sick last week. I'm still recovering. I'm still a little congested, if you can tell. Still have a little bit of a cough, but I did want to put a pot out because the Mariners have done stuff. They've done plenty of stuff for me to talk about. Jerry Depoto has been goading me into doing this podcast. He's just like, I will continue making moves if you record a podcast. But no, I'm here. I'm back. How How's everyone doing? How have you personally been doing since you last listened to my podcast? I hope good because I've been doing very okay. Uh, getting, getting the flus is, uh, not good. It's not great, but I'm here. I'm ready to talk Mariners baseball. This is going to be a very Mariners heavy episode. There's three big moves that they've made since I last recorded. One of them was a long time ago. Uh, and then the two trades that were fairly recent. Uh, and then at the end of the episode, I may, uh, I think I'm going to talk a little bit about the Dodgers and Yamamoto because I did not get to talk about that yet on this podcast because Yamamoto signed legitimately right after I released my last episode as stuff like that generally tends to happen. But uh, yeah, I'm here and I'm going to talk about, first of all, a free agent signing, the first position player free agent signing that Jerry DePoto has ever made as the president of baseball operations slash general manager of the Seattle Mariners. And it was on Christmas Eve, Jerry. Christmas Eve, dude. What? Spend some time with your family. But you know what? Jerry put on some big boots, some red pants, a nice jacket that Mrs. DePoto made for him, and a nice cozy hat, got in his sleigh, and delivered a present down the chimneys of all Mariners fans everywhere. And that present was Mitch Garver. And before I truly get into this monumental move in Mariners history, I'm just going to read this short little tweet from Mariners PR that tweeted this after they officially announced his signing on December 28th, 2023. Mitch Garver, a 2019 Silver Slugger Award winner, posted an 870 OPS with 19 home runs in 87 games for the Texas Rangers in 2023. His 138 WRC Plus ranked tied for 15th in the majors among players with at least 300 plate appearances. That tweet is funny because I think he had like 330 plate appearances last year. The key to that tweet was the at least 300 plate appearances, which is fine. That's a half season. But there's a reason they included that. Mitch Garver, Mitch Garver, Mitch Garver. What is he? This was such a refreshing signing. They signed him for two years, $24 million. I think a, I think $2 million bonus. And then I think he gets $10 million salary next year and twelve in 2025. Just a good signing. Like, I don't have a lot else to say about this or really analyze it. Uh, I think Jordan Schusterman, I don't have the exact trade-up, but he basically tweeted uh, after this happened that, like, it's weird to have a DePoto move that there's not much to say about besides this is good. Like, that was my analysis on Twitter. Part of it is because I was with my family. I didn't want to, you know, spend a lot of time on Twitter looking at Mitch Garver stats and tweeting about Mitch Garver, but... I tweeted, this is good. That's my analysis. Because it is. There's not much else to it. 
Mitch Garver is a good player. He fills a need on the team, and it makes a ton of sense to sign him. It's a, I mean, I would say that's team-friendly, I guess. It just feels fair to sign a, around that money for what's going to boil down to a full-time DH role. Uh, and it's good. Mitch Garver has proven he can hit. The only knock on Mitch Garver is health. It always it has been, like I mentioned earlier. Last year, he played about half the year. When he came back for the Rangers, I think in August, they basically put him at full-time DH with Jonah Heim fully healthy, uh, and he absolutely raked and was pretty healthy down the stretch and in the playoffs for their World Series run that they made. So I think there's reason to believe if you take him out of the catcher spot that he will seemingly be healthier. I mean, it'll at least take him out of harm's way. I think the opportunities for him to get hurt will be diminished in the DH spot, but I say that because I don't see him catching much with the acquisition of Sevi Savala and Calrelli merely existing and healthy, knock on wood. I think those two will be doing most of the catching because Cal is the starter and Sebi is was brought in to be the backup and he's not going to hit too much, but he can catch. He's a good catcher, good defensive catcher. I think I talked about that when we acquired him. I'm fine with him being the backup because I think he's going to come in and be a good defensive uh, replacement for Cal when he needs days off. And then it leaves Mitch Garver, who he can play first base. He can also catch, but he will be the full-time DH, and that's really good. He can focus on hitting, and hitting is what he does really well. Let me take a sip of my tea real quick. Hold on. So yeah, Mitch Mitch Garver, he is just a good hitter in every sense of the word, basically. He hits for power, he draws walks, uh, and it's not just the raw stats that can tell you that. Uh, his You dig into more of the advanced stats and plate approach stuff, and even if you just watch him at the plate, uh, just a very mature approach to the plate, really good swing decisions, and a very composed look up there. I think this is exactly what the manager's needed. I think this is a really good signing. I think he's going to slot perfectly into the four spot, probably, or three spot. I don't know. I've started to think about the lineup more now that we kind of know, at least. We know what the top of the lineup's going to be. It's going to be JP first. It's going to be Julio second. And then after that, it's going to be one of Cal or Mitch in the three spot. Probably Mitch Garver in the three, I imagine. And then Cal is like a very typical uh, cleanup hitter. So I think that makes the most sense in my mind. And then after that, I mean, might come a player I discuss later in this episode very shortly. But like Ty France exists, I guess he could he could hit in the five or six spot. I don't know. We at least know what the one through four is going to be, uh, which is good. I think that's a good thing. Most teams generally have that figured out, but some don't. So I think it's fine. But looking beyond the Mitch Garver signing, and really, I don't have much more to say about this. I just, I wish they did more moves like this, where I could sit here and be like, that's good. The Mariners needed DH that could hit. They found a DH that can hit. And he does, I expect him to catch a little. I, I Like, full-time DH with the caveat that I guess he'll, you know, if Cal and Sebi are mostly healthy... I don't know, Mitch Mitch will catch 10, 15 games maybe this year. 
if Ty France really isn't doing too hot at first base, maybe Mitch plays a lot more of first base. I don't know. They have a lot of options now. They have a lot of options. And then there's just a bunch of utility players after that. I don't want to discuss the lineup like 7 through 9 right now. It's ugly. But I guess I'm done talking about Mitch Garver. I will discuss him more on the preseason preview of the season and like more of what we can expect from him. But Mitch Garver, good. Gets on base, hits home runs, good hitter, will DH. Good. It's all good. It's good stuff. He's 33. We signed him for two years. That's it. That's all I got for you. Just a good signing. Now to the trades. To the absolutely wacky world of Jerry Depoto makes a trade. These ones are so out of pocket. I think this next one was one of the more random trades I've ever seen Jerry Depoto make. I think entering the offseason, if you told me to make a list of players I think that would least likely be traded, the core would be down there. You know, like Julio is probably at the bottom of the pile. <clears throat> but then, like JP and Cal and. Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby. I think those are all the obvious names you'd say first. Like, and Andres Munoz, Matt Brash, maybe as well. And then Robbie Ray, I think, would have been down there. Robbie Ray, I think, would have been at the bottom of that pile just because he's hurt. That contract is huge. Who would trade for it? And are the Mariners even looking to trade that contract? Like, I, uh, Evidently... They were, because Jerry Depoto, or like Jeff Passan announced this, Jerry Depoto sends Robbie Ray to the San Francisco Giants for Anthony Desclafani and one Mitchell Evan Hanniger. Is that his middle name? Did I just remember that off the top of my dome? Hold on. Mitchell Evan Hanniger. That is his, of course I remembered his name. Cut that out, editor, which is me. No, I'm not going to cut that out. Mitchell Evan Hanniger is back. He's back on the Seattle Mariners. Don't look at 2023 stats. Just focus on the future. Mitch Haniger is back on the Seattle Mariners. I could not believe this trade. And Mariners Twitter was in a tizzy this day because uh, another Mariners podcaster who has a way more prominent podcast than I tweeted something that he, they were, I think they were recording and he said, and his name is Ty. I'm sure you know who it is. Uh, tweeted like he knows something, and if it's true, it's funny. He was 100% true. This is a very funny trade. The fact that they got off of the Robbie Ray contract and got like anything back is pretty astounding. Initially, it was like, oh, man, they dumped Robbie Ray. But then looking at it, it's like they kind of did. The money works out the same in 2024. Long term is where they have savings because Robbie has the opt the two year opt in for fifty million after next season, which can't imagine he's not going to take that. So long term savings is what they got from this, as well as some utility in the short term. I mean, Mitch Haniger, we love the man. Boy, was he terrible when he played last year. Mitch Haniger, there's question marks if he plays. It's it's. Similar, not similar to Mitch Garver in the caliber of player, but similar as to like, well, can he really put a full season together? Like that's been Mitch Garver's problem is playing a full season. 
And same with Mitch Haniger. We saw it when he was on the Mariners. It's hard for him to stay healthy. He's got that weird mix of injury proneness, which is part fragility of the body, part unluckiness compounded into one, which is just really unfortunate. Like he could just get, you know, hit by a baseball in the nuts and rupture his nutsack again. Or he could strain his hamstring running to first base. It's equally as likely with Mitch Hanniger. But I think this trade makes sense on its merits. The Giants have so many outfielders, and they needed to get rid of one, at least one. So they got rid of Mitch Hanniger, which is fine. They probably didn't need him. They signed him to that two-year weird deal. Didn't really work out for him, but what, are you, what can you do? And they get rid of Anthony Descofani, who has one more year on his contract. And he, I mean, they don't necessarily need Anthony Descofani. You can kind of replace Anthony Descofani with uh, any anyone at this point in his career. And then they take a shot on Robbie Ray. He's not going to be healthy until midway through the year. But I think we feel, feel like they're going to, they're trying to back back their way into a good rotation somehow. I'm giving you these pauses so you can think about my words, not so I can drink tea. But no, it, it, so it kind of makes sense for them. I mean, they're they're eating the rest of Robbie Ray's money in the hopes of upside. Because upside, I mean, I think Robbie Ray can still be a very above average pitcher. I think there's not, you know, no hope for him to come back and be a good pitcher. Don't think he's going to be an ace again. But if he comes back and he gets paid $50 million for two years after next season and is like their number three starter, I think they'll be okay with that. And then from the Mariners' point of view, you don't need Robbie Ray, really. You had the emergence of so many young pitchers last year and the couple years before. You got off on his contract long-term, and yay, long-term savings. I'm all about that. I love when my favorite baseball team has long-term savings. That's my favorite thing about baseball is when they when my team saves money. Uh, but then you get a fan favorite who can at least satisfy a platoon role in a corner spot where you desperately need it and desperately need big league help there. Because frankly, at this point, I'd still take Mitch Haniger, however broken he is, over Taylor Trammell or Cade Marlowe. I'll be honest with you. And so you satisfy that need. And for a second there, before the second trade, I was like, is Mitch Hanniger going to start in like left or right field? And maybe he will. Maybe he will. But with with the next trade after this, I, I, I doubt it. I, I think we're going to see a Hanniger Canzone platoon, which I noticed gets Jerry's rocks off. He's got to have an outflute platoon in there in his lineup somewhere. And I think you're at least betting that Mitch is better than his, like, 70 OPS plus he posted in the few games he played last year. And maybe it's just change the scenery. Maybe he comes back to Seattle, he starts the year healthy, and he hits the ball pretty well because he's familiar with the ballpark, familiar with the coaching staff, familiar with some of the players that are here. I'm willing to buy into that. And he doesn't have to be that good. If he's just a league average platoon and can hit lefties, and Dom Canzone can at least hit righties. I'll take that in an outfield spot. It's better, again, than what they currently had. And then Anthony Descalfani, 
I think can at least satisfy a swingman role for you this year. Uh, he can fill in. I, he's not going to be a starter unless they trade more starters because uh, right now he's probably the seventh starter on the books uh, after Hancock, after the first five, and Hancock's number six. So I, I think he's going to be a swingman. I think he can give you value. I think he can give you in value in the form of innings is what I think Anthony Descalfani can do. I think he can hopefully be what we thought Chris Flexen was going to be last year, but in 2024. And I'm, I'm really hoping for that. But really, the most important thing that this trade brings me is joy. I'm so happy that Mitch Hanniger is back on the Seattle Mariners. I'll, honestly, I, I just love it. And I'm happy that Robbie Ray is not with the Mariners. Not because I don't like Robbie Ray, but because the discourse around Robbie Ray amongst Mariners fans was some of the worst. It was it was awful. Uh, <clears throat> and it's unfortunate for him that while he still had a, a solid year last year, or not last year, in 2022, it wasn't the Cy Young year that they basically, you know, build the fans on. But us learned individuals knew that wasn't going to happen again. But it was a fine year. But what the Mariners are going to rem- what Mariners fans are going to remember him for is getting donged up by Jordan Alvarez in the one of the more crucial spots of the season, in which he probably shouldn't have been pitching. But what are you going to do? Uh, he's not going to be remembered well. He's going to re- be remembered as the overpaid guy who got fucking dicked down by Jordan in the playoffs to cement that series loss almost for the most part. So that sucks, but I I truly hope he can get healthy and provide value for the giants. I really hope so. I have no thoughts on Anthony Discofani. It's all about Mitch Hanniger. I'm just happy. He's going to be in a Mariners uniform. It's going to bring me joy. It's going to bring all of us joy. No matter what he does on the field, it will make me happy. Until that first month and he hits 100, then get him off the team. Eh. No, I'm just, uh, I'm not expecting too much. I'm just, uh, I'm just hopeful. I'm, I'm hoping he can at least post league average numbers after what we saw from him last year. I mean, he really wasn't healthy. I'm just like willing to be delusional enough to buy into like those numbers last year. Just throw them out. When he was trying to play, he was hurt, you know? I mean, even the season before, like in, in 2022 with the Mariners, he was still, like he wasn't as good as 2021. Still a very serviceable player in 2022. The Mariners will absolutely take anything close to that 2022 production. Like if he just posts like a 740 OPS and plays defense in the outfield when he's asked, fine with it. Doesn't have to come close to MVP like in 2018. Doesn't even have to come close to 2021 production. Just above average is all I ask and health and maybe if he is a full-time platoon that will only help in the prospects of his health so that was that trade and then seemingly two seconds after that trade came through Luke Rayleigh was announced to the Seattle Mariners now Luke Rayleigh now this answered my question where I was immediately thinking is Mitch Henniger going to start in a corner outfield on opening day for the Mariners. And he might be the starter on opening day, but I was like, is he going to be like these? If he's fully healthy, is he playing 162 in left field? No, he is not. 
He's not going to. Why? Because Luke Rayleigh is a Seattle Mariner. Jerry Depoto sent our beloved little rapscallion, Jose Caballero, who recency bias will tell you everyone hated, but no. I still really liked the guy. He was such a pesky little 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 man. Uh, this felt almost too good to be true, just Jose Caballero for Luke Rayleigh straight up. But then I remembered Jose Caballero will absolutely be a utility man who steals 25 bags for the Rays next year and provides them good value. He's also cheaper than Luke Rayleigh, who's about to enter arbitration, I think. I don't know... I don't know what his service time is because I know it's his third year in the majors last year, but I don't think his first year technically counted on the Dodgers. I don't think he played enough. So Luke Rayleigh, evident, like Will, once he hits arbitration, will be more expensive. That's probably, I guess, what the Rays were looking for. And the Rays could use a utility guy like like Cabby. He can play everywhere. Uh, but Luke Ray, this was a shocking one. I, I like Luke Rayleigh. But this one also felt bizarre. It was like... Cabby for Luke really straight up? Like, what is this? Is this real? And it is real. So we now know who is going to be the starter in one of the corners this year. If he's fully healthy, he's playing 162 there. I, I have no doubt about it. And I think it'll be left. I mean, well, it could be right. I actually don't know. I haven't really thought about it too much. He played a healthy amount of left and right last year, if I remember correctly, as well as DH and first base for the Rays. So I don't know, and I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I think I think he'll be in left. I think he'll be in left, and I think Dom Canzone and Hanniger Platooni will be in right. But point is, he can play both. But I think he'll be in left. Luke Rayleigh, big boy, can hit home runs, strikes out a lot and sock the ball. So there's that. It's funny after all the talk of strikeouts and eliminate strikeouts and everything, they go and acquire these bats that strike out. Uh, Luke Rayleigh, especially Luke Rayleigh's just, I mean, listen, the guy had a breakout year last year. I think doing a preliminary look, and I'll talk more about this in the preview. I'm not going to try to project what he does next year yet. But a preliminary look into his numbies has me thinking there was definitely some batted ball luck in his in his statistical outcomes last year. I don't know if he's exactly like 130 WRC plus player right now. But I do think, again, he's better than what the Mariners currently had. And I think there's reason to believe he gets better. He took such a big step last year uh, in terms of actual output and also just like general approach to the plate. There's clear, clearly big home run pop in there, big swing and miss. But this is what we're getting from Luke Rayleigh. Essentially a Jerry Kalnick replacement is how I'm going to look at him, uh, both in the way that he plays uh, they're both white dudes. They both bat lefty. Uh, but the added caveat that Luke Rayleigh can play first base as a lefty. So doesn't exactly rule out the Mariners getting another outfielder here. Uh, he can also DH as a lefty too. So versatility. We love that. And I don't, again, I don't have much to say specifically about Luke Rayleigh. I want to say more. 
but I don't. I need to delve into the numbies. I need to. Uh, I need to really figure out which projections like him and only use those to formulate my uh, my talking points for him going into next season. But um, this is a good trade. I like this trade. It felt like a fleece. Like Caballero for Rayleigh straight up felt like a fleece to me. Um, but I mean, Luke, again, Luke, he's not a sure thing, but I think there's definitely reasons to believe he'll provide a good amount of value in the corner spot this year. Uh, so this is a guy I think can sit in the five or six spot in the lineup as well. Um, with Ty France after the main four that I mentioned, um, and I'm sure they'll figure it out. I'm sure they'll do a heavy dose of, uh, of platoonage, uh, and reorganizing the batting order. Because just looking at his platoon splits right now, he really tanked right into pitching last year. He he was fine against lefties. He wasn't like a complete liability against lefties, but he was a lot better against righties. So I don't know. It, after these trades, it still leaves a lot that could be done. In my opinion, it leaves a lot that should be done. I think there's a lot more they could do. Um but I think the main takeaway after these trades, given the Mitch Garver info before this, after these two trades, I do think the Mariners are better than they were before these two trades. Now, where they were before was self-imposed, and where they are now is still self-imposed and restricted in some way. But I think those trades made the team in 2024 better. And so I think that's important to at least note. Now, why? Why are they doing this? This is like, it really is not the optimal way to build a team. However, I think DePoto has done a fine job with the resources he's been given. I always say that with the caveat of like, we don't exactly know what's going on in the org, but it's pretty clear the ownership group has limited him financially. And I think so far, he's done a decent job building a team for next season with what he's given. I don't think he should be done. I don't don't think he is done. But this really is a suboptimal way to build a baseball team. He's made a million moves to make the team maybe not even better than they were at at the start of last year. I'm not exactly sure. I think by virtue of having Mitch Garver in the DH spot, on opening day instead of Tommy Lestella automatically makes them better. But then you have Luke Rayleigh in the outfield instead of Teoscar. And like, you don't exactly know what you're going to get from Hanniger or Dominic Canzone or like Kate Marlowe or any, or like Zach DeLoke, any of these other potential quad a type outfielders. And then you're missing Eugenio. You have like basically two utility-type guys starting at second base and third base. But I, I like I like Josh Rojas starting at second base more than like Dylan Moore or Sam Haggerty. I, I just don't know. I don't know where I'm at with this team yet. It's just like it's DePoto has made so many moves to make this team, I don't like a win or two better in their projections to be projected the same as they were last year for like 88 wins. It's just moving, moving a fucking mountain to do nothing. It's so frustrating. Uh, 
at least Mitch Hanniger's back on the team, you know? No, I, I think the team is fine where they're at right now, but as I've been saying, there should be more to do. I think these moves have left them in a position to still both kind of project what the opening day lineup's going to be, but also add more. I think there's a clear option, and I don't think it even should be an option. I think it should be mandatory to add a second baseman or third baseman into the mix that can start at one of those positions so you can shift one of Luis Urias or Josh Rojas to a full-time utility role. And I think if they do that, I'm ready to say that the team is better than last year, but they haven't done that yet. But the options are there. They somehow have not traded any of their young pitching yet. They've traded Marco Gonzalez and Robbie Ray, their old pitching. They've hung on to all of the young pitching somehow, and I'm impressed by that. Uh, So they have so many avenues they could go down because right now, Again, you have a very set rotation with options, and I like the depth. I at least like the depth. If they hang on to just this team, like pitching-wise, I'm fine with that. Because you have Castillo, Gilbert, Kirby as your 1-2-3. It's a nightmare 1-2-3 for every other team. And then Bryce Miller and Brian Wu are your clear 4-5 and right now. There's still definitely a market to trade one of those guys, or both of them. Uh, And then after that, you have... Hancock, who you could also trade, and then Anthony Descalfani, who you're not, who is the clear uh, swingman of this group, which is really good. I think it's really good to go into a season with a clear uh, swingman, especially a veteran like Descalfani, who's had experience in the bullpen with the Giants and starting in his career. I think that's a really good thing to have. And so there's a lot of other avenues you can go down, and I, I'm sure next season they'll add, like they've already added a couple more relievers like they could always just build a bigger bullpen too to supplement the lack of depth if they ever run into that issue with the starting rotation and I'm, I'm pretty confident they could add through waivers to do that but I feel like it's still it's still time I feel like it's still time to trade one of those young guys like Miller, Wheeler, Hancock I doubt the market is too hot for Hancock we've barely seen what he could do at the big league level there's definitely still prospect pedigree there, but there's a lot more risk of injury. He's been a lot more hurt recently, so I don't know. I think it'd have to be Hancock plus like another prospect or two to really get a bat you want. And Bryce Miller or Brian Wu, I think, could get you a decent amount. I think those guys are proven to be good, and teams are still really looking to acquire pitching in a, in a big way. The pitching market is still hot. I mean, we just saw, like, who just signed? Shamanaya just signed. Like, Shota Emenaga just signed for, like, $100 million. Like, the pitching market is there. Not like the freaking hitter market right now. The hitter market's whack. But the pitching market is still there. And they also just have a lot of these A-ball prospects that I think I'm ready to let go of for an actually impact bat. I think holding on to some of them is wise. I feel like we'll see a couple of these guys potentially next season if things go right. But I don't think they should really be clutching their pearls on any of them. I don't think any of them are generational prospects. At least they're not consent. Like in terms of prospect rankings, like a lot of prospect rankings like those prospects, but they want to see a little bit more. And I just don't think any of them are like hold at all costs. I think all of their prospects should be on the table to trade. Even Harry, even Harry Ford, 
even Cole Young. And I really like those guys. I just don't think they should be off limits to try to improve the team right now. And I think that's what it could take. I, I think it could take a Hancock plus a Cole Young or a Hancock plus a um, Harry Ford or something to get a bat. I just don't know what bats are still there. Jerry could go back to his old friend, the Tampa Bay Rays. He's made a million trades with them since taking over the Mariners. And if they want Emerson Hancock or Brian Wu or Bryce Miller and, I don't know, like Bryce Miller and Gabriel Gonzalez for Yandy Diaz, do they do that trade? Or Cole Young and Emerson Hancock for... Yandy Diaz and Isaac Paredes with like Prelander Barella thrown in there as well, or Taylor Dollar thrown in there as well. I don't know. I I just think it's time to hit the well of prospects. I'm not saying trade the farm, but I think if that's what it's going to take to acquire another bat, I think that's what it's going to take, man. Like they could still sign Jorge Soler too at this point. Like I don't think it's out of the realm possibility for them to sign another free agent, but they just haven't shown that they want to sign free agents. Like Mitch Garver is the biggest free agent Jerry Depot has ever signed. It's two years, 24 million. Jorge Soler would surely cost more money than that. But as it stands right now, it's depressing. They're like projected after arbitration estimates came out today, they're projected to be like $20 million under their payroll was last year, which is honestly fucked up in my mind. It should be going up. I don't want to hear about this RSN business. I chose specifically not to do an episode about that because it's just going to fire me up. I don't want to hear excuses from this team. Payroll needs to rise. Like, not just throwing money at nothing, but I I don't know. I don't know why the Mariners keep getting brought up in Cody Bellinger talks. I don't see that as happening ever. I feel like Jorge Soler would make sense. Now with a full-time DH and Mitch Garver, it makes less sense. But he could still play outfield, and I'd rather have him play over Mitch Hanniger and Dom Canzone against all types of pitchers. You wouldn't have to really platoon. You could just have Soler, a full-time right fielder, Luke Rayleigh, full-time left fielder, Canzone and Hanniger on the bench. And, like, that would be a fine roster. Like, Soler would automatically occupy the four or five spot in your lineup. Probably the five spot after Cal. And I think that would be fine. I just They have plenty of options. I just don't know where they go. It's hard to predict what Jerry DePoto is going to do. And it's hard to say, like, oh, he's going to try to sign a free agent. Because why would anyone believe that? It's... <laughs> And why, I mean, at this point, I don't know, unless a team gets desperate, I don't know why they'd trade Bryce Miller or Brian Wu unless they've been waiting for the market to develop this long and for a team to get desperate, I guess. But uh, I'm almost in the camp of, like, if you're going to trade any of those pitchers, you package Hancock with a couple other prospects and you hold on to that five in the rotation and just build the, and just like start the season next year with the top five rotation in baseball, essentially, is what they do in that situation. Because uh, I think we're out on the idea of signing like Blake Snell and then trading Brian Wu and Bryce Miller both for a bat. I think that idea is sailed. I don't think that's going to happen. And I just don't see them shelling out a whole lot of money for another free agent bat. 
because besides Soler, like I guess Whit Merrifield is out there. However you feel on Whit Merrifield is whatever. I'm not like super convinced he would immediately make the team better, but I think shifting Rojas or Urias from full time to utility and having Whit Merrifield play second base would be a marginally better thing for your team to do. Like there's Matt Chapman, I just don't I just I it's it's crazy what the market is for these guys. I have no idea what Cody Bellinger is going to get in free agency. I have no idea what Matt Chapman is going to get in free agency. I have no freaking clue because the market is so weird now. And a position player hasn't signed in a, in a minute. Because I would have said like Heimer Candelario, he already signed. Lourdes Gurriel, he already signed. Uh, I just, I don't know where they go from here. Like... Matt Chapman, I don't necessarily want. I feel like Matt Chapman's going to want like $20 million a year over like six or seven years, and I don't like his bat enough to give him that. His defense is so legit. His defense is phenomenal. It's a platinum glove at third base. I just don't. And like Reese Hoskins, I liked that idea before they signed Garver because I think Ty France is their first baseman, and I don't think they're wrong to have that have him be their first baseman on the opening day. I've talked about that before for many reasons. It's just now with Mitch Gar the Mitch Garver signing being a full time DH, I think that takes him out of the running of a guy like Reese Hoskins. Solaire, just because he can play the outfield, I think I guess is still on the table. He keeps working out in a Ken Griffey Jr. shirt. So there's reason to believe. Uh I just don't know. There's a lot of talk on if this offseason is grading the offseason because I think ESPN came out with grades and they graded the Mariners an F. I don't really disagree, to be honest. Even if you're being not very harsh, I don't think it's any higher than a D. Like, let's call it what it is. It's a failure of an offseason. This offseason compounded with the last offseason has been an absolute failure. Like, the only reason I can really sit here and say good things about what Jerry has done is because I've accepted the restrictions that they've set upon themselves, either through the ownership or whatever. And they've lowered my realistic expectations and all of our realistic expectations for how they're going to try and build a winning team if they even want to build a winning team and win a World Series. I don't really think there's a want. We just saw Pete Carroll have a basically, not a retirement speech, but a speech signing off as coach of the Seattle Seahawks. And he basically talked about building a winning culture and what was the one thing he's going to miss most? And he said, being on a championship float. And I feel like that mentality is missed in the Mariners organization. I don't think their main goal is to bring a championship to Seattle. I've talked about this. I think that's an issue. The team just keeps moving the goalposts for both themselves and the fans' expectations. Like their talking points are never the same year over year. Even like month over month, they're not the same. I think they're, I think it like getting rid of the strikeouts and then just acquiring more high strikeout guys. Like maybe it wasn't about the high strikeouts after all. Maybe it was and always has been. Position the team to be competitive as cheaply as you possibly can. I think that's the main goal. Uh, so I just I in terms of options, I can't predict what they're gonna do. I just have no idea. But that's it. I'm done talking about the Mariners. I have reserved a little bit of time to talk about the Dodgers and Yamamoto. But that's it for my Mariners talk. Mitch Garver, Mitch Hanniger. Oh, yeah, I got to talk. They're getting Mitches. They're acquiring Mitches by the by the dozen, it feels like. They acquired two Mitches 
in the span of like th- like two weeks. I, I think it's safe to say they're going to try to require more Mitches, so be on the lookout for that. But anyway, I will segue into Yoshinobu Yamamoto. I'm not really going to talk about him as a player, just what the signing caused everyone on Twitter to do, and that was to throw another fit. And, of course, I timed this. Yamamoto signs before I even released the episode this time. I knew something was going to happen. It's usually manager-related, but this was huge baseball news. He signed a huge contract. I think it was $300 million. He signed one hour and 22 minutes after I stopped recording. Like three weeks ago on a Thursday night. Could not believe it. And then everyone, of course, is complaining about the Dodgers. Like, oh, they're ruining baseball. I got a couple things to say about this. Are we all forgetting? I mean, I'm late on this, but I'm going to talk about it anyway because I want to talk about it. Are we forgetting how baseball works? Like, did I die and come back to life and all of a sudden the best team in baseball wins the World Series every year? If that was the case, the Dodgers would have 10 World Series in the 21st century. Like, what are we saying here? Like, if the Dodgers win the next three World Series, they win a three-peat, then we can have a conversation about competition. But at the end of the day, this also isn't the Dodgers' problem. It's not their problem that other teams are not trying to be competitive. It's not their problem that other teams are not spending as much as they can to win like they are. The Dodgers have, like, they definitely have more resources than a lot of teams and more money than most of the league to spend. That's for sure. And they have a lot of good resources, but they also have invested so much of their money and created the best infrastructure in all of baseball, essentially. You can't buy a World Series in this sport. And the Dodgers are an example of that. They're a well-oiled machine that has one World Series win in a whack season in the 21st century. Like, it's, it's their living proof that you can't buy a World Series, even if you do everything right. And they do. They do everything right. It's still pretty much a crapshoot on who wins the World Series every year. Like, what the Dodgers have done is created a well-oiled machine. It scouts, it develops some of the best amateur talent, some of the best international talent, consistently churns out top 100 talent that they use both on their major league roster or they use them in trades, like Tyler Glasnow trade, the Mookie Betts trade. A lot of trades they've traded, they just traded Michael Bush because they can. Not a lot of teams, if they had Michael Bush, could just trade him for lower-level prospects. But they can because they're the Dodgers. And then they also invest heavily in free agents to augment the roster of these young fellas. And on top of all of that, they like consistently take in veteran guys who are on the downslope of their career and they turn their careers around. Or at least get them like ring out as much baseball as they can from them before they retire. Like, Look what they've done for Jason Hayward. They've made him a productive player again. Like Most teams would not be doing that. So the sentiment that like the Dodgers are ruining baseball and making it non-competitive is g- genuinely hilarious to me because all this does is put a bigger target on their backs and makes it funnier if they lose to the Reds in the wild card next year or the ALDS. Like if the 121 win Dodgers loses to the 84 win wild card winning Rockies in the 2024 postseason. Like, it's just going to make it all more funny when they lose. And, 
like again, if the best team in baseball wins every year, the Braves would have swept the playoffs last year. That's it's funny to me when people complain about that in baseball. It's like so evident that it does not matter in baseball how truly good your team is on paper. Once you get to the playoffs, it's freaking chaos. But the Dodgers look insane. I mean, they got Yamamoto, they got Tyler Glass now, they got Shohei, Mookie, Freddie, all these guys. They're going to be awesome to watch. It's just the sentiment that they're ruining baseball. If you think that, you should turn to your owner and say, get your bread up, king. Like, what are you doing? So many of these teams have billionaire owners who could spend the same amount of money. They just don't. Ah, That's just funny. That was my little mini rant on the Dodgers. And the fact that Yamamoto signed that shortly after I recorded really pissed me off. So last thing I will say is actually manager related. I saw Bryce Miller is working on a splitter. So all I can say is I'm aroused at the thought of a Bryce Miller splitter. Um, A little nerdy baseball for a second. The reason Logan Gilbert's splitter works so well is because he is such a horizontal pitcher and he releases the ball behind it so much instead of either to the side on top or to like the glove side, the batter side, or on top. He releases it so much behind the ball. He gets so much backspin. That's why his fastball is good. That's also why his splitter works really well. Bryce Miller is very similar to that. And so I think it would work super well in Bryce Miller's arsenal if he can harness a splitter. So I'm excited for that. And that's it. That's it for this episode. I've lasted 45 minutes. I need to drink some tea. I'm still a little sick, but I'm glad to be back podcasting. I'm glad you're all back listening. I appreciate it. Uh, I believe I will be back next week to record something. Uh, If nothing happens, then I'll just make up something and still record it because I just want to get back recording. But that is it for this week. Appreciate the listen. Of course, I'll sign off with a go Mariners and have a good rest of your week.